Hey, welcome to this episode of Let's Chat. I'm your host, Chris Revel, coming from the Cat Cave in Providence, Rhode Island. First time posting an episode in, like, months. Uh, Susan Silver, wonderful human being, comedy legend, author, television writer. Uh, she and I were supposed to record an episode about four months ago, right, uh, maybe five months ago, right before Felicity was born prematurely. And couldn't happen, and she could not have been nicer, and we stayed in touch, and she was always just checking in, and always asked about the baby, and just such a, just a wonderful human being. So when we finally got to set this up, and then we were going to do it again, and then my wife had to get her gallbladder removed, and we finally carved out an hour, and we recorded an amazing episode, and I only had to put her on hold once to go take care of a, a crying baby, and she was understanding about that, which, uh, so, uh, Susan is just one of the coolest, nicest people out there. Uh, so sweet, so wonderful, and a fucking pioneer for the television industry. And uh, so the reason I got connected with her, I want to make sure I don't forget to say this, I want to shout out uh, Cynthia Bemis Abrams. She is a past guest of this show, uh, fellow Quartemp Arts Network podcast host of Advanced TV History, which is the basically like uh, television with through the, his, the historic view of uh, women. I hope I did that for you right, Cynthia. But it's a really great show, and I heard Susan on that episode, uh, an episode that she did, because Susan is a writer for the Mary Tyler Moore Show, Maud. She worked on Laughing. She's worked on Square Pegs. She worked on uh, Dick Van Dyke Show, and just uh, I mean, a, a fucking legend. I mean, she. I mean, I, I remember watching Mary Tyler Moore and my parents on Nick at Night, and the the episode where Mary is a bridesmaid. That Susan wrote that episode. Um, Susan, we talk about all that stuff, talk about the golden age of ter- television, uh, that I, that, that era. Uh, so shout out to Cynthia for connecting us and please check out Advanced TV History. She, Cynthia has just been killing it. I, I really love that show. I feel like I liked it, my show. It's the only show I could do is just talk to people, but Cynthia feels like she was like basically like a professor. Like it's a class that's fun to listen to. Uh, but so anyway, Susan's also the author of Hot Pants in Hollywood. You can buy that book right now. You can get a free chapter on the website, Hotwood, hotpantsinhollywood.com. She's an NPR affiliate through Robin Hood Radio, for the, which you can also download this podcast for Susan Says. Uh, just make sure you check out Hot Pants in Hollywood. I got the free chapter. I loved it. And I am literally going to buy the book tomorrow. Uh, it's on Amazon, wherever you buy books. I think Amazon's probably where people buy books. Maybe it's in bookstores. I'm not sure. I haven't been to a bookstore in a few days. Um, uh, in case you're wondering about me, things are going well. Felicity is doing amazing. Felicity is my daughter, for those who don't know, who was born prematurely. The plan for this month, I'm hoping that Victoria and I will sit down. Sort of about our birth story. Uh, we had kind of a rough go at it, but now things are going good. So we're, we're really happy. Um, Felicity's healthy, Victoria's healthy, and that's all that matters. And then I'm hoping to post a couple more of those Bonix content episodes, and maybe in September be back at it full-time and uh, post new episodes. I'm on uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Let's Chat Podcast. Make sure you follow Susan at Suz underscore eight, S-U-Z underscore eight. Uh, you can follow her on Twitter. She needs more Twitter followers. Um, let's get to it. Bruce B. Kid to bring. Folks, master flex, love, fun, star, 
so many things to ask you because I've been reading oh about God. you all day. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, in a good way, especially because I don't know if you're watching, but CNN is doing those like I uh, Tom Hanks produced it. It's uh, yeah. And they really pissed me off because they used a lot of my clips on the Mary Tyler Moore and they didn't pay me. Uh, how come you're not on there? I was like, where's Susan? Yeah, I'd like to know myself. I don't know how those things work. And like, who is uh, it? PBS did one a long time ago called The Golden yep, Age of they Television. Didn't pay me either. They and you know I went to the Writers Guild on it, but Good. they say if it, if the clips are used in another. Uh, not format, but in another something, they don't have to pay you their public domain. And they always use my bridesmaid one every single that's, time. That's like the quintessential. Cause yeah. I, I mean, even I, uh, I remember growing up. Um, so I grew up with like Nick at night. So that was uh-huh. more my touch base for like the Mary Tyler Moore show. Uh, mm-hmm. spent a lot of time with my grandparents and we, and, and my parents, we, we would just watch Nick at night all the time. And wow. I, I didn't realize, how, and as I got maybe last like six years, like becoming an obsessive comedy nerd because of comedy podcast, mm-hmm. and how much of like that foundation comes from like everything from like the mind of James L. Brooks and Mary Tyler Moore show. Like a Dick Van Dyke, I didn't see as much, but we used to watch. Oh. So I know, I know you weren't talking, but Mary Tyler Moore was the show my family and I watched over, and Lucy, but Mary Tyler Moore over and over. And oh well, over. then you're the authority now. Oh, it was. I was I was watching them on uh, Hulu like a week ago and like they just hold up so well. Yeah. So I want to start at the beginning uh, f- uh, for you. Like, where did you where are you from? I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is not Minneapolis, Minnesota, but everybody thinks it is. <laughs> yes. Nope. Different different place. Not really. I mean, they're still very very overweight people, but nice. Yeah, that's a nice way of the the, the Midwest. That's the Midwest. And, and so what's your journey from, from from there, the Midwest to Hollywood? Well, I was an only child and I was really overprotected and I wasn't allowed to like leave the house or cross the street till I was 12. And then um, when I wanted to go away to college, I could only get as far as Northwestern in Evanston because all my friends went to Wisconsin. I wanted to write in Northwestern. Had a great journalism school. I really wanted to go to UCLA, but my parents wouldn't let me. So I went to Northwestern for two years, and then I escaped to UCLA. Ah, I mean, all all very good schools that yeah. you just named off. And um, and so like, I was looking through like your IMDb page. So like, you know, UCLA, and then you start writing for TV. Like, what's the industry like back when you're writing? Because I'm imagining it's different. It was totally different. I wasn't allowed to be a writer. There were very, That's a very, thing, right? Yeah, very okay. few women writers. Um, my first job um, out of college was in advertising, and then um, I saw an ad in the paper for the show Rowan and Martin's Laughing, and I had done casting and advertising, and I just – in those days, you could apply for a job in the newspaper, <laughs> oh believe it or not. Oh, Laughing, yeah, yeah. We used to have – my yeah. parents had that DVD. We used to watch it. We had we had the wheel and fire, but we we're still a little backward. So I applied for this job as a casting director for Rowan and Martin's Laughing, and, and my boss died. He was an elderly gentleman, so I became the casting director, which was really kind of interesting. And um, <laughs> that's so funny. That's just I'm guessing that's not how things work today. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you could kill your boss. I guess it. it yeah, worked, I guess but, you could. But, but I um I wanted to be a writer, and uh, they wouldn't let me because there were no writers and. Actually, the New York Times did an article a couple months ago in which it was called Because I Was a Girl, Things That Stopped You 
in gender discrimination. So I told the story, which, of course, I knew they'd love because it had the word fart in it. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I want, yeah, I wanted to be a writer. And my boss said, no, you can't because the writers are in an apartment and they're wearing their underpants and they want to fart. So I said, farting is keeping me from being a writer. So I said, I'll be the writer's assistant for free, but they still wouldn't let me do it. So uh, I met a girl named Iris Rayner Dart who went on to write Beaches, and she was um, managed by Gary Marshall, who was the great icon. And oh, yeah, yeah, of course. My dear friend and mentor. And so he managed us, and we used to write in my office, in the casting office. We would write Love American style. And then Iris, uh, we, we sold one of those, and then Iris uh, took a break to have a baby, and the Mary Tyler Moore show came on, and I said to Gary, I can do this show because I'm from the Midwest, she's from the Midwest, I started in a small television station in L.A., she started in a small, he said, well, let me see if I can get you in there, and um, they started mid-year, and he got me an appointment, and they said, if we get picked up, you'll be the first hire, and I was. Right. I mean, all right. So I mean, I I know a little bit of my history, but like, so that that's insane to me just to hear that you like got your start from working with Gary Marshall, and I've uh, every one who's ever worked with him said nothing but nice things about him on podcasts. So it's kind of nice to hear that's true. He was my best friend and mentor and manager for many years, and because he, you know, backed me, they saw me and they said if we get picked up because they started mid season. They said, if we get picked up, we'll hire you. And I, I was like the first outside hire. There, uh, Trevor Silverman was there before, and and then uh, they really wanted women, so I was given a chance. And I started on top. I always say it was downhill after that for the next 20 years. <laughs> now, now, that's like one of the first shows that was like hiring women writers too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Wow. And what's what's the experience working on Merely Time? Is it like a writer's room? No. You know, back in the day – there were no writers' rooms, and it's such a different experience now. I I really don't like writers' rooms. I've never been in one, but in the old days, you went in with your stories. There were two producers, two story editors. You pitched your story, and if it was a really good show, where they'd give you like on Mary, you'd you'd work all day. You'd break the story. You'd you know you'd you'd do each scene together, and then you'd go home and write your outline and turn it in. Other shows, you'd go in maybe an hour or so, and then you know it was like you had to read their minds, but. We all wrote our own scripts. Now they're all in a room. I call it spritzing. It's not writing. You know, they're throwing jokes up against the wall and see who can compete with who. And I don't consider that writing. Plus, they hire so few people. The Writers Guild, you know, I'd say probably a third of the people only work because there's limited a number of freelance. Oh, I mean, and now there's it's, it's funny. There's just so much more content out there, but not all of it pays. Right. <laughs> and there's yeah. always always strikes and always issues with that stuff. Um so it, there must be such a to me it must be a strange experience like you can write for the Mary Tyler Moore show but you might not actually know everyone on the show outside of like behind the scenes so you, you probably didn't really know the other writers or anything. Well, I knew a couple of them, and it was also a very welcome place where they would let you come to the read table read. They'd let you participate, and then they'd have you come to the rehearsals if you wanted. Other shows they didn't. Um... Oh yeah, like writers were disrespected in television up until. Totally. I don't until, know how, even no, still, probably still, until five minutes ago, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I know that. I guess the golden age technically starts in the '90s, but it doesn't seem like until the Sopranos hits where people non-network television was starting to kind of be looked at that way, and that's only like early 2000s. Writers, no, writers are still not respected. I mean, creator show creators are, yeah. but 
People and and you know a lot of people out there in the audience think that the actors make up their own words, so you know. No, yeah, that's true. Like the writers are like, they always, I love like on The Simpsons, they always just make fun of the writers because. Okay. Well, I, see, we have the toughest time, and we're always um, at the bottom of the totem pole. But they I, couldn't do without us, however. No, it's funny too. Like when you see like the Emmys when people get the awards, and like the Daily Show or those types get up there, and they're just the dorkiest, nerdiest looking dudes. <laughs> Well, speak for themselves. Yeah, I yeah. <laughs> I noticed too, like, it's a lot of, even like when Colbert got his show, I think he only hired two female writers to start. Yeah, it's tough to be a woman. Still. I mean, it, and now, more than ever, aside from, from sexism, there's ageism. If you're over 50, just, you know, kill yourself, I guess. I mean, you're not allowed to. I had a partner a few years ago uh, when I just came back to do a, a screenplay or two. And he he was in his I guess he was in his sixties and they told him to come in with his son, and then let the son do the talking and then he could go home and do the writing. So ageism is the new sexism. It's it's bad. That's and, and so I also see that you wrote for the Bob Newhart show. I did. That was also a Mary Tyler Moore uh, company show. Same crew. Some of the same people, and he was lovely, lovely guy, and. Um, then they asked me to produce in the new one, and I just kind of – I took the job, actually, and I talk about it in my book. The next night, I, I fell asleep. I dreamt I was like Lucy working in the chocolate factory, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I couldn't take it. I realized I, I didn't want the stress of an everyday job. I really like staying in my pajamas at home. And Yeah, and so you're a writer. You're an introvert, I'd imagine. Yeah. I'm not. I'm no. both. Yeah. I'm an introvert yeah. and an extrovert. I'm, I'm half my mother, half my father. <laughs> Which is like Sybil times, you know. It's just it's funny because like I, I've been doing like research for this and like uh, in shows of that era, like people wrote like you would write like maybe two, three, four, five episodes. But like a TV show today, you'll see like one writer like oh Mr. Robot, like Sam Esmail basically just is everything. I I don't know how someone has that, but it's funny like the writers are just it's different. Like if you get hired yeah. to a show, it's just like your name's gonna be on probably all of them. And then if you listen to any like. Writers are like, well, you know, my name's on it, but we wrote it together. Well, that's it. And also, in the old days, we were freelance. I mean, I I had been offered to go uh, to the MTM family, but as I said, I turned it down. So freelance people, my first year, I did like a lot. I did 13 episodes, which is kind of a, a record at the time. But then you know, you'd go from show to show and the ones you liked and the ones you didn't. And then I started in my third year, I started doing pilots and movies of the week. So I didn't do any more episodes and then we had a strike to get reruns. We used to only get 10 reruns. So I get, like, checks now for 37 cents and things like that. <laughs> Are you worth cashing? No. You know, oh. not worth the stamp. And, and maybe Bob Newhart, I mean, like, the Partridge Family, I remember watching that. Yep. Which I was did two of those. Square Pegs, I kind of remember. That one, I know that's what Sarah Jessica Parker. Yeah, that came and went in, in one quick season, and... um Rumor had it that there were uh, substances involved with the writers, and I was like the old one, so I was like, like, I didn't get invited. <laughs> yeah, no, they said actually they didn't want me. I used to play tennis during lunch hour. I don't know what they were doing, but thirty-seven cent checks, which is uh, yeah. that's not even worth printing a check. No, it's not worth mailing because a stamp is forty-five. Yeah, but I, but I find them amusing. The smallest one I got was for point oh eight. So wow. Mm-hmm. And does that screw you on the taxes if you don't cash them? <laughs> I don't know. We'll, we'll find like, out, won't we? Find out that in. Um, 
So you're also part of the era of TV too, where it was just like, well, I guess they're always screwing people over, but like it was just a little more rampant. Like you're like, oh, you're just yep. a, a lonely writer. No, our union does protect us, but back in the day, like the TV Guide article that was written about me, the writer wore hot pants. We were making the subtitle was they'll only they won't give you thirty five hundred dollars because you've got good legs. So we used to make thirty five hundred. Now what do they make? Like fourteen an episode? I don't even know. I don't know. Yeah. But we have a union, and they do protect us, and sort of. You're also writing TV for like Mary Tyler Moore. When people are watching it, like the numbers are just so different. Like, was it 93 million people tuned in for the season finale of Cheers? And now, like... Yeah, it's so spread. It's disparate. And in the old days, everybody stayed home on Saturday night to watch Mary and Newhart and All in the Family and Carol Burnett. You know, it's funny. Uh, Norman Lear is still at it. With he has got the new Netflix yep. show, uh, One Day at a Time. I don't know if you've got to see it. It's no, I haven't. But he, yeah, he's a wonderful guy, and he's still still doing it. Yeah, he's got a podcast too. Does he really? He just started. I just I watched his documentary on PBS, and he I watched that too. Yeah, with Carl br- and yeah. oh, brought me to tears. It was beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful, wonderful. Seems and like he's a doing a podcast now. Norman? Yeah, it's something. It's his name is in it. Oh my gosh! It just started, and um, my favorite episode, which I think you'll you'll also enjoy, he had Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda on. Oh yeah, you know Lily was on laughing. She's amazing oh, talent. That's right. So you got to work. I, I mean, I was I, mean, I was reading about you, and like I'm like anyone I can think. I mean, you've had interactions that's with fun. everyone. I've met everybody. I'm Z- I'm like Zelig, and I'll tell you a funny story. I can't remember if it's in a book or not. I think it is. Um, after when I started writing and Lily became, you know, more of a star, she and her manager came up to my house to see if I'd want to work on a special that they were doing. And my dog pumpkin peed on her foot. Oh, my funny wife. Job. I'm not saying it was any dog's fault or anything. That's but. funny. My wife is watching West Wing, the Lily Tomlin era right now as we speak. Lily was on West Wing? Yeah, she's on it for a lot. I don't even remember that. She's in the later seasons when Mrs. Lanningham dies, and then oh. she replaces her. She's great. Um, I just like like most people, I've kind of rediscovered vinyl for the first. Well, for me, it's the first time getting vinyl, and I go to like all these used record shops, and I found some of her old comedy albums for like two bucks. Oh my god! So she had to get those, and oh my god, her stand up is brilliant. Yeah, I just sold a bunch of my vinyls. I mean, I shouldn't have. Oh, <laughs> now now they're in. Um, one one thing I I, I was reading. Um, you had a encounter with Bill Cosby that now we all know could have gone way differently because you excused his terrible advances because yes. he's a horrible, vile, poor excuse for a human being. Allegedly, yes. And um, I have a follow-up to it, which is so unbelievable. I um, When I was in college, there was a show called Hootenanny, and it was like singers, and they would go from campus to campus and a friend of my uncle's was managing talent, and he said, if you want to be on television when they come to UCLA, I, I'll put you in the audience. I said, oh, great. you know. So he said, sit in the front row here, and if you're very animated, they'll invite you to come back for the second show, and then there's a party afterward at Theodore Bacall's house. So I said, great. So I was animated, blah, blah, blah. I sat there, came up to me, and he said, oh, you did so well. you know. Come to the party with my client. He's on the next show. I said, fine, who's your client? He said, Bill Cosby. And the album had not come out yet or was just about to. I thought he was a singer. I didn't even know who he was. So after the show, he had done his little act, and we went to the party. And on the way home, 
Uh, we were driving a little sports car, and he said, I just released my first album, and what do you want to do? I said, I want to be a comedy writer. And he said, oh, well, would you like to work on my second album? So I said, really? He said, yeah, you know, we'll pitch stories and, you know, help me with the material. And I said, oh, that'd be amazing. So we pull up to my apartment, and he kind of lunged at me. And I say I did the Lucille Ball exit from the car with my legs up in the air, and I wound up on the curb. And he closed the door and drove away. Oh, yeah. So. I was so lucky, unbelievable, right? So I told that story at my book party, and page six of the New York Post put it in, and a funny item. And then two days later, the National Enquirer picked it up, and I said, thank God my parents aren't around, because there's a picture of me, picture of me now, and a picture of Bill Cosby 30 years ago. So it looks like I'm the aggressor, and it says, of course. comedy vet escapes sex fiend. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. The National Enquirer covered it. it. Was really, I mean, yeah, I was lucky. Can you imagine? Ugh. No, I'm glad that. Yeah, <laughs> that's just a. And I was a uh, little virgin then in those days. That would have really been a trauma. So, <laughs> thank do, you. I'm glad you got out of there. And um, yeah. do you happen to watch um, the Amy Schumer show? Uh, what was it called? Inside Out. Uh, Inside yeah. Amy Schumer. Oh, she's brilliant. Have you ever seen this skit, Last Fuckable Day in Hollywood? Yes. Yeah. Yes, where she's I, sitting in the park with, was it Julia, Julia Dreyfus, Patricia Arquette, yeah. and um, Sally Fields, maybe? I don't know. I don't remember. I don't remember but, yeah. it was, but it was like three very beautiful actresses who are over 40. That's right. Oh, no, no. They reference Sally Fields of how she's like Tom Hanks' wife in one movie, and the next movie, he's she's his mom. <laughs> and, <laughs> That's right. Of course. It, uh, and Julia, it just, it's so funny. And I... And then she also did the uh, there's a great skit about the the trial of Bill Cosby. Oh, <laughs> she was his lawyer. Oh, it's where just, can I see that? It's probably on YouTube or Hulu, and um, it's so funny. And she's just going to the jury like, if you, if you, this is actually before even more stuff came out. It's like if you uh, you're a good person and you like the Cosby Show, so if Cosby did it, that'd make you a bad person. At the very uh-huh. end, she gets a drink from Cosby and she throws it over her shoulder. She's very, very talented. I just met Julia Louis-Dreyfus for the first time, actually. There was a small uh, private memorial that Mary Tyler Moore's husband threw in L.A., and I was on my book tour, and so I stayed a few extra days. And I I think Veep is the best show on now. I love the writing. I love. I'm with you on that. Possibly the fastest, smartest. That's a show for people who have like who love words and insults and swears, but it is so piercingly funny and and then I, if you miss one episode you can just turn on the news and see the real thing and it's the exact same thing well sometimes i find that the real stuff is stuff like uh the most re- oh, i just read the press secretary today uh and we're both aligned the same way politically i've been listening to your npr show a lot uh, you're, um, <laughs> i'm obsessed i call him hashtag 45 ish ish yeah we'll see how long but like his press secretary comes out and said that the that email that his son released had nothing to do with collusion you know some bullshit and i i'm in my head i'm like this is so stupid that veep would cut that out like if you were in a writer's room in veep and said that the president's son is going to re- release information that he did something wrong and then deny it like or 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 the president's wife would plagiarize uh the former president's the former wife. president no you can't you cannot make up yes yeah. as, as the reality is but that show i adore the acting i adore the writing i just loved it I, and she went to northwestern too which i yeah, hadn't yeah. realized so we both were in you people She's and that's yeah that show's great because it doesn't matter which side you're on because it doesn't 
It's not about Republicans. It's not about Democrats. And I think the last president oh. they reference is like Reagan. Like oh, that I don't know. It's almost like a different universe where they don't ever. It's not about party. It's just about how everyone's a piece of shit. <laughs> well, or or allegedly. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. Um, and so I want to I want I want to definitely bring up the book, um, Hot Pants in Hollywood. What gave you the? We finally gave you the time. You, what made you decide to write it? Well. I was at a party Vanity Fair had, and I was talking to a couple editors there and the publisher, and I, I just mentioned how I had met a couple rock and roll people, and I kind of have met everybody of my generation. They said, oh, well, that's a good article. So I started to write it as an article. Then I said, wait a minute, this is a good book. I have met almost every icon of my generation. It's so weird. So um, Elvis? I mean, yeah, you, you've met Elvis. Every, I met Elvis. Bill met, Cosby, Jim Morrison. I mean, you worked I went to with, school with Jim Morrison, Clint Eastwood. I met Steve McQueen. All those. I met a lot of people on Laughing, and then I met a lot of people in other. I was also in politics once I retired, so I met a lot of politicians, and I'm. I, I literally have met everybody. It's kind of scary. How did you get? What, what were you doing politically? Um, I started in 1976. I just was doing some fundraising, and I um, I started going to the conventions, and I went to every convention. Democratic convention up until a couple of years ago. And then I, I did a fundraiser for George McGovern. And uh, I, in the book, I tell the story on how I I was going to have coffee with him and, and Warren Beatty came up and asked George McGovern to go for dinner. And George McGovern dumped me for Warren Beatty, which is probably I would probably do that, too. But yeah. anyway, <laughs> oh, um, so you have the same path as Norman Lear, like television icon followed political activists politics and then i uh i did fundraising for bill clinton and then i'm very involved now with israel so i've met both the late yitzhak rabin and shimon perez and i'm very involved you know it's just like i i it's really frightening when i think of the list of the people i've met and i'm still doing it i want you to know i was out in la i was having lunch at the beach and i saw carson kressley you know who he is sorry Carson Presley is a very amusing gay guy. They did a show called Queer Eye. Oh, Queer for the Straight Guy. Yeah. And he was my favorite one, and he was having lunch. So I, of course, introduced myself to him. I told him he has to buy my book because I thought he'd really get it, you know. Yeah, But it's like, uh, yeah, I'm not shy, so I've kind of been standing next to or met every icon you can imagine. That's so great. So then that's where the the inspiration for the book comes from. And well, partly that. I mean, you lived a great life, and then you're like, let's just tell all the secrets. Uh, tell it all, but change some – well, not all. Yeah. But um, the TV Guide article was called The Writer Wore Hot Pants, and a friend of mine said, no, let's make it alliteration. So hot pants in Hollywood, sex, secrets, and sitcoms. And there's stuff about all those things, plus baby boomers' lives. Uh, you don't know yet, but there's a lot coming up for you. Some good, some not so good. And you've been doing really well on the Amazon track. You were like pretty high up there when I was looking at I, it. Oh, things are wild. And, you know, I think it's the podcasts. We have some mutual podcast people who have been really good to me. And I, I kind of watch, you know, when it goes up. And I, I, I've had a fair amount of press. And now I'm doing um, a little bit of book tour. So. Oh, because yeah, I think I heard you on Cynthia's podcast, uh, Advanced TV Herstory. Oh, yeah. She's wonderful. She, that podcast is just like class. Amazing. And she repeated it a lot on TV whore. Excuse me. Oh, but, Allison. Yes, she was yeah. on here. But that is sadly one of the I, – I did this thing where I recorded a bunch of episodes before the baby was born. 
and my computer crashed before I backed them up, and that was oh. one of the lost episodes. But Allison is wonderful. I'm glad you know her. She is so cool. Yeah, we had lunch, and they've oh. been very kind to me. They've all been, and it's so great because I really want, you know, I had a dating column called "The Search for Mister Adequate." Because <laughs> there's no prince, there's no perfect. Even That's though what I'm my sure wife, my wife calls up. me. Yeah, I'm more than adequate. I'm sure you're. I hope. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, I realized that a lot of people 35, a lot of single girls, a lot of gay guys were having the same problems I was having. I'm not sure why that is. But anyway, (laughs) in the the book, I do want to reach younger people to tell them, you know, you have to keep reinventing yourself and you're a lot more resilient than you think. Mm -hmm. And we go through some things. You know, I went through some illnesses and my parents passing and stuff like that. So life is uh, bumpy, but all doable. Yeah. important like thing that. is to laugh laugh your way through it oh that's so that, that's so that's such a good truth i mean uh, so i was um a little bit about me i was born with a heart condition so i used to oh. work at and then go to the summer camp for years in uh, upstate new york so i just grew up with some of my friends who were just terminally ill and um oh. but like i think is it i think this is a joan river quotes but when you la- when you when you uh make someone laugh you give them a vacation and Aww. there's just nothing more fun than like I, I don't know what your illnesses was, but have you ever like met someone who's like sick? They're the funniest person you've ever met in your life. Well, I've had a couple. If you see in the book, there are a couple strange incidents where I almost died from things that have happened to absolutely nobody else. Oh I'm just goodness. gonna at that. And there's a couple chapters in the book of what to do and what not to do in the hospital. The main thing is do not let a male attendant give you a rectal thermometer but you know yeah. moving on from that yeah, that's but, for the book, oh, people. yeah. <laughs> my little goddaughter had a rare heart defect uh oh. to tra- tetralogy fellow that's what i have get out yeah jimmy kimmel's son just had it you you oh go in the book you'll see my little munch who i met who's a uh, make-a-wish baby who's the most important thing in my life now she's oh. five she's healthy and great she has to have a couple more operations as you know I'm going to get you some information um, after this. I'll give you – there's the summer camps for people with, like me with her who go for uh, – and they're completely free for the parents. Um, it would, it's called Hope with Heart. It's in Warwick, New York. Uh, wow. I went there for years and have some great friends from there. Yeah, and I would go to summer camp there. And, How many and, operations have you had? I'm like – so I'm born in 84, but I'm really lucky. I had one in 1984. I'll need another one at some point, but ha- haven't had to have one. Didn't need a pacemaker, and I mean um, – Hole in my heart, thin valve, and then that was it. Um, well, I get monitored what, regularly, but you know, there's yeah, I know people who don't. Um, she had it when she was six weeks, and yeah. she's supposed to have another one when she's four, but she's doing so well she doesn't have to, and probably one more when she's a teenager. But oh my gosh, well then you'll love that story. Yeah, I'm, put, I'm putting the this. Book, I'm, buy, I'm literally purchasing it as we speak. Uh-huh. This is oh, that's so great. It's so weird to meet someone who even knows what that is. Yeah, and I fell in love with this baby, and she's like an angel sent to me yeah. in heaven. And uh, she was the San Francisco heart baby last oh. year. Oh, and yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sick kids are fun. And oh. like, I, I, She's not sick. She's the most robust, healthy, yeah. amazing little kid and a, a sweet soul, too, who's always giving. She take, Listen to this. She's five years old. She finds pennies and then she saves them and leaves them on the street for people to find oh for good god that's an angel right that's so sweet I, that's so sweet yeah wait till you see her face she's next to your baby the cutest baby in the world oh, 
I, you know, I, I love my daughter, and I'm like, I think she's really cute, but maybe I'm making that up. But when we go out, <laughs> everyone compliments us, and then you get to a point where you like expect it. You're like, why is no one complimenting me? <laughs> I will tell you something. I, I, I write about it in the book. I was obsessed with this baby, and when I met her, I'll tell you the story really briefly because. Um, I go to something called the Renaissance Weekends where you're invited if you've achieved a certain amount of success in your career and you talk about your life, et cetera, et cetera. And I was on a panel with this really handsome guy, and I was talking about my dates with Steve McQueen and Clint Eastwood, and he was talking about how his baby almost died at birth. You know, I said, what's wrong with this picture? <laughs> anyway, afterward, I see him with her, and she was she has the most perfect little face. And a psychologist told me that, there's a, a, a name for it. Babies, when they have a certain uh, dimension of their eyes, their cheeks, their neck. Anyway, it's why we're programmed to love them. It's like, Oh, yeah, yeah. And I fell in love with this baby, and she was looking at me, and I was looking at her, and she was looking at me, and I said, can I pick her up? And the parents said, yes. I picked her up. She started to kiss me on my collarbone. Aww. I started to cry. They started to cry. They told me the whole story of her birth and everything. And it, by the end of the two days, I was in love with this baby and she's now my godchild. That's so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. And that, I mean, and like, I mean, I'm, thankfully I'm not a parent of a sick child, but I've gotten to meet so many parents of kids, sick kids. And you know, it does something to them. You know, it, it's hard. Very it, hard. It makes you so strong, but yet sensitive to everything. Yeah. Yes. I mean, right now I sort of got and everything I watch makes me yeah. cry. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think she chose me in some way, and they say that um, if if a baby meets your eyes and holds your eyes, that they see something there, and I just, it's like the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Your name is Ellie. Wow, that's so beautiful. I'm so happy yeah. to hear that, and yeah. I'm sure, I know those parents are very, very thankful for you. And well, I'm thankful for them letting me in. It's an amazing thing, yeah, so. It's a, it's a, I'm definitely, I'll send you all that stuff afterwards. It's, cool. That'll be great for her when she gets older. I think they take them at, you probably start at like six or seven, but whenever the parents are obviously comfortable, because it's hard when you have a sick kid. It, it, even like, cause my, my, my poor parents, cause I was two and a half months when I had my surgery. So yeah. I never, I never felt sick, but they, but back would, today it must've been so much even more frightening. Cause now yeah. Stanford, Stanford, um, does this operation quite often now and they're quite, uh, good at, at, at yeah. real helping kids now. I, so, uh, some, a little antidote, I went to Yale, was where I had my surgery, and I was the youngest member of the Yale Pediatric Children's oh. Hospital they opened up because I was one of the few kids who actually lived when I had it. Oh. So my doctor, I was the oldest one to go there until I moved out of state because my cardiologist would have me come in and talk to parents who were having their kids oh. having the same surgery because I left there when I was I 25. Get over this. You know, when you were talking about your baby and stuff, I was always so interested because I'm I'm the, like a baby whisperer. Whenever I yeah. see a baby on the street that's cute, I go up to them. I'm going to be arrested someday. But oh, people with babies love it. I love everyone's so nice. It's, I feel like it's the closest <laughs> I've ever been to like a celebrity. Everyone's nice to me and like, <laughs> uh, it puts me in a good mood when someone compliments her so all of a sudden i'm like hey how you doing <laughs> and i know like you know it's limited because she'll get older and then that goes away so like, I, I, and we, we had to fight for so long to get her here and then my poor wife had so many complications and we actually almost lost her so oh God. Oh we're just fine and then very recently she had her gallbladder removed so now this is like the first like our new normal oh, is setting in your wife did yeah so she gave birth all that fun stuff and had some complications, almost bled to death. Oh, and then geez. three months later, she needed her gallbladder removed because oh of the pregnancy. So, like, we just could never catch a break. So now things are starting to level out. 
Oh my god, I know exactly what you mean. Now. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, I think last week I was like, this. All right, I think I can do a podcast again. I finally had brain space to talk to another human oh, being about something, and and you have to laugh though. I mean, you oh, just. Yeah. My wife I, and I, we love comedy. I mean, there's just we watch comedy. I mean, we watched a ton of Bob's Burgers, Parks and Recreation, The Office. Uh, you know, we just watch comedy all the time. It just you it's, have to. You ha- and when I was in the hospital, um, I won't spoil it for the readers, but I I almost died twice. But oh, hey. God. And, um, yeah, and I started watching stuff on television and I tell them what to watch and what not to watch because there are, there are, and I, I give you hints on how to survive in the hospital. So it's it's funny. I work for um, the mental health field profession and I have so many clients who tell me that parks and recreation is their get out of depression show. They're like the unbridled optimism of Leslie Nope is what helps them kind of see the light sometimes. Uh, well, that's why the movie Inside Out was such a brilliant. Did you see oh, it? Yeah, cried my eyes out. I, I think Mindy Kaling is a ever genius for kids and adults. Yeah. Oh, I love the Mindy Project. I love The Office. Mindy Kaling, and now she's going to be in a Wrinkle in Time. I am such a fan of her work. She's good, excellent. Yeah, it's great scene. So I mean, I mean, I guess I think this is a quote from Kamal Bell, but he's like, comedy is just ref- the industry is reflective of life, or like. The industry is now more diverse than it's ever been, but not nearly as diverse as it needs to and should be. Well, that's true. <laughs> for that's true for too. gender and race. So it's like, it's oh, it's great. We have a couple, but we'll get there. Not enough. So yeah. You're one of the people who spearheaded it. I mean, Mary Tyler Moore is like the – obviously, you know all this, but like the pinnacle of – I mean, that's, that's the show. Well, I'll tell you what's amazing, Chris, is that in doing the book and then, of course, when Mary passed on, I because I was in New York, I did a lot of press – to see how it's lasted and how iconic it is and how much it means to people, both men and women, it's it's really an honor to have been involved. You don't realize when you're doing it that it's going to be that iconic or that great. And even afterward, I, I'm just so amazed at the at the response and and the how people. It's a credit that lives forever. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I mean, you you wrote the DNA of what would become. Um... Well, TV is weird. It started. There were some really good years, and it sucked for a while, and then it picked up in the '90s. But I mean, that that you you wrote some of the episodes of the DNA, the the brides one. You were talking, we were talking about. I forgot the title of it. Like that's like the everything. Exactly. That clip shows up on everything, and then they don't pay you. But still. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, because I went in with stories that any woman could tell, but the guys had never known it. Every woman I know has had to stand up for a wedding or someone you don't like and wear this hideous dress. And so the the dress designers on that show, the costume people, were great. They made it into the Bo Peep dress, which is one of the funniest sight gags ever, ever. So uh, it's just beautiful comedy. Um, well, so before as we wrap it up, is there anything we missed? And where, if not, where can people find you online? Where can they buy the wonderful book, Hot Pants in Hollywood: Sex, Secrets, and Sitcoms? Well, it's available on all the usual suspect things, all those places, but I'd love it if they would go to my website, www.hotpantsinhollywood.com, because you can get a free bonus chapter. It's a little naughty, I'll tell you that much. So if you're, if you're, uh, prim and proper, you don't want to read it, but everybody else, hey, you'll like it. And you get a free bonus chapter, and then you can buy the book too. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of the naughty. Oh, I wanted to ask you about your NPR, <laughs> your NPR affiliate as well. I do. I have a, a, um, a small commentary on the smallest NPR affiliate called Robin Hood Radio, WHDD, and I do a weekly commentary on politics, media, and things that piss me off, which is mostly noise and deranged Donnie. And, and that's also available as a podcast for people who don't live 
nearby yeah. or want to stream it because I downloaded, I subscribed to it uh, a few weeks ago. Oh, cool! It's perfect in the morning because they're short, so it's just like you can go yeah, through like six on the way to work. Oh, you're great! I'm so glad we finally got to do this. And yeah, I yeah, thanks for being so patient. We oh, just okay. met at the worst, the most hectic time in my entire life. I was like. We were going to record, then the next month the baby was going to get born, and then everything went to a different way. And So I'm glad we were able to stay in touch. And thank you so I, much, and I'll, um, I'll keep you posted for when this goes up. And I'll... Okay, and send me a picture of the baby. Oh, of course. I'll send you a million. We are obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> you have a good one. Okay, dear. Thanks. Thank you. Bye.